Pleasant and very happy Sabbath to each and every one of us this morning. I'm so thankful for the invitation to speak to you today. I believe it's my first time preaching at the Good News Chapel, and I'm happy that God is going to use me today to share a message that he has placed on my heart to give to you. I want to say thanks so very much for the technical team who's here behind the scenes, you know. Uh, we are so grateful for your service to God and that you give this form of talent and ministry back to God. Today is my baptismal birthday. Yeah, today, 29 years ago, I became a Seventh-day Adventist. And usually every year, I would take myself out, have a little Alfredo pasta with some cake and ice cream. Of course, this year, we're in a pandemic, so I'm locked down. That did not stop me, however, from buying my chocolate cake. But I'm really, really excited to be able to deliver God's message on this, my baptismal birthday. So thank you so very much, Good News, for the opportunity to celebrate my baptismal birthday in this way. So our story today is on Bathsheba. Bathsheba. And we read the backdrop of this story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 to 14. That's 2 Samuel 11, 1 to 14. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles with me this morning, and we're going to read this passage of Scripture from the Word of God. In fact, I think I want us to read up to verse 9. That's 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. And even though we're in virtual church, you're supposed to have your Bible with you, hey? So I hope that you're pulling it out now and flipping to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 11, verses 1 to 9. And I'm going to read from the clear word version this morning. And it says, the following spring, the time of the year when kings usually went to war, David ordered Joab and his men to attack the Ammonites and besiege the city of Rabbah because he wanted to finish the war that Hanan had started. David had become very powerful and felt proud of what he had done. So he decided that his presence was no longer needed and he returned to Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, he went up to the roof of his palace to enjoy the evening breeze. As he looked down on the houses and courtyards below, he saw a woman bathing herself. She was very beautiful. So he sent someone to find out who she was. When the man came back, he said to David, the woman is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliab one of your mighty warriors, and the granddaughter of Ahithophel, one of your own counselors. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who joined our forces and is now at the battlefront. Then David sent messengers from the court to her house to tell her that the king would like to see her. She had just purified herself after her monthly period, so she agreed to sleep with him that night. Then early in the morning, he sent her on her way, and she returned home. Some weeks later, she sent word to David, telling him that she was pregnant. Then David sent his word to Joab, send Uriah the Hittite home. I need to see him. So Joab pulled Uriah off the front lines and sent him back to Jerusalem to see David. When Uriah arrived, David welcomed him and asked him all about the war, how the siege was going, and how Joab was, and how the troops were doing. After their conversation, David said to Uriah, It's good to hear that everything is going so well. You deserve a rest. Stay home for a few days and take it easy. 
Uriah thanked the king, and David sent a gift of food to their house as a reward for Uriah's faithfulness to Israel. But Uriah didn't go home. Instead, he slept with the troops in the guard room at the king's palace. Here end at verse 9. The story of Bathsheba. Let's pray. Father God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And we have the opportunity today, O oh God, to feast on your word. O oh God, we know that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. So Lord, may your word be made manifest in our lives today. And we invite the presence of your Holy Spirit to give us understanding hearts and minds. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen. So we have just looked at the backdrop of this story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Bathsheba was on the roof bathing. Now we often paint Bathsheba as though she was a seductress, that she was on the roof purposefully there to entice and attract David. Generally, Bathsheba has a bad stigma in the Bible. But the reality is that the Hebrew word bathing actually translates to a cleansing. It was an act of ritual purification, generally done after a woman's menstrual cycle. Therefore, I want to submit to us today that Bathsheba was actually doing what she was expected to do. She was cleansing herself after her monthly cycle. She was not seeking to entice the eyes of the king. She was doing her ritual as was required by custom of the day. David, however, was not doing what he was supposed to be doing because the passage of scripture tells us in verse 1 that this was the time of year when kings usually went to war. David, however, was not in the war. He felt that it was okay for Joab and the troops to complete the war while he was walking on his rooftop breezing, as this Bible says. He was enjoying a little breeze. David, therefore, was not in the position where he was supposed to be for God to use him. Therefore, he made himself susceptible to the wiles of the enemy. Here was David on the rooftop, and he was thus in a position to see Bathsheba bathing. The Bible tells us in verse 4 that when David saw Bathsheba bathing, he liked what he saw. And so he said, send her for me. He sent messengers to bring Bathsheba to him. Now, I want to submit three facts to you here at this point in time. A woman summoned by the king did not have the option to say no. Let's just face it. We know the story of Vashti in the Bible when King Ahasuerus summons her to his courts and she said no. What happened? Vashti was no longer queen. Off with her head, as they say. So a woman summoned by the king did not have the option to say no. Let's look at the second fact. By virtue of the fact that she did not have the option to say no, we immediately identify an uneven playing field. It meant, therefore, that the third fact, David had power, but Bathsheba was powerless. Are we together? And so we see here a different dynamic playing. One person had all the power, but one person was powerless. Andy Crouch, in his book, The Strong and the Weak, Embracing a Life of Love, Risk, and True Flourishing, offers us a helpful two-by-two -two grid to understand what we call an abuse of power. He says, authority versus vulnerability. 
Authority is how much ability you have to exert change and influence in the world. Vulnerability, however, is your exposure to risk or to weakness. Let me say that again. Authority is how much ability you have to exert change and influence in the world, whereas vulnerability is your exposure to a risk or to a weakness. You see, in the world that we live in today, we are encouraged to seek the former but to shun the latter. Little do we know that both are really needed for society to flourish and to have balance. But you see, because we understand that persons in the latter group, that is, the group of the vulnerable, are often exploited and taken advantage of by persons in the former group, that is, the group with authority, we do almost anything to gain membership into the former class. Everybody wants to have authority, but nobody wants to be vulnerable. We see the power dynamics at play in today's story. David, king of the land, he had all authority, but Bathsheba, woman bathing on the roof, she was vulnerable. And David, this man after God's own heart, was about to exploit and abuse his power. Bring her to me. Needless to say, as the king of the land, his commands had to be followed. And so he, they brought Bathsheba back to him, and David took her, and he lay with her. In biblical terms, he had relations. Then, what is interesting to note in the story is that the following morning, he sent her on her way, and she returned home, as though nothing had happened. Does that sound familiar? Today, sadly, our church is not immune from an abuse of power. Often we hear of men of God, leaders in God's church, persons in position of authority and influence, using their office to exploit and to abuse the vulnerable. We, have, we hear of things such as the Church Too movement, born out of the Me Too movement, and this was spawned by women who had been abused and or had their abuse covered up by the church. In fact, these women were told almost pretty much to forgive and forget. And, and that is a common nature, a common factor in our church, not realizing that abuse is a trauma, and so it has to be treated. Let me tell you something. We as a church need to protect our women. We do not need to abuse or exploit our women. Our, our abuse must not be covered up by our church. In fact, there's a second campaign called Silence is Not Spiritual, and this calls upon churches to address the issue of sexual exploitation in churches and to take proactive steps to combat it. I can't tell you as a youth leader and as, a, and as an attorney how many times persons have come to me saying, this happened with the elders in church when everybody left and I was left there alone I was touched I was approached in a sexual manner I was harassed and too many times when I spoke to the elders we were told there was a, a state of disbelief they couldn't believe that this elder or this pastor this prominent person within our church would have stooped to conduct or, or do this act and we want to say today Ultimately, that when someone comes to you and trusts you with a, a factor of sexual exploitation, you need to believe them, and we as a church need to take action. I want to submit to you today that Bathsheba had no such movement or campaign. She was alone. She didn't have the Me Too or Church Too or Silence is Not Spiritual campaign to back her up. She was defenseless. She was voiceless, 
And based on the scheme of things and the power dynamics at play, I submit to you she was even insignificant. Everything was happening around her, and it was out of her control. And as such, all she could do is react, because she had no control over the dynamics at play. Even after being sent back, she could do nothing. But today, I want to tell you that Jesus is a friend of the defenseless. Hallelujah. Jesus is a friend of the voiceless. Jesus is a friend of the vulnerable, and Jesus sees the insignificant. Psalm chapter 46 and verse 1 tells us that God is our refuge and our strength. He never promised that the trouble wouldn't come, but what did he say? He is a very present help in the time of trouble. So no matter you may be feeling voiceless, you may be feeling defenseless, you may be feeling insignificant, I want to submit to you that Jesus is present in the midst of your pain. In fact, he doesn't, he's not only present but in verse 10 of the said chapter 46 of the of the book of Psalms rather he tells us that when we feel as though everything is out of control around us we can be still hallelujah and know that he is God he is the God who fights for us so I want to remind you this morning having faith in God is not the refusal to acknowledge the pain of your troubles it is the assurance that there is peace and purpose in your trouble let me say that again having faith in God is not the refusal to acknowledge the pain of your troubles it is the assurance that there is peace and purpose in the midst of your trouble did Bathsheba feel that there was purpose in the midst of her trouble we don't know the story does not say but what we do know, what the story does tell us, is that Bathsheba, even in the midst of this circumstance, was eventually used as an instrument of light and of truth. How do you know, preacher? How do you know? The Bible tells me so. Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Bathsheba sent word to David that she was pregnant. Recognize that Bathsheba didn't opt to tell Jane, Mary, and Sister Cynthia about her pregnancy. She sent word directly to the cause of the pregnancy. And I want to submit to us today that Bathsheba's pregnancy caused David to have to face the consequences of his sin. I want to say, whatever is done in the dark today, church, it will eventually come to light. You might be able to hide from people. You might be able to fool people. You might be able to appear pious and holy, but we cannot hide from God. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God sees your heart. The light of truth will always shine forth. How do you know, preacher? Again, the Bible tells me so. Psalm chapter 18 and verse 28 tells us, For thou will be my light and my candle, O God. You will enlighten the darkness. And then we read it again in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, hath sin in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light of truth will always dispel darkness. Just about 1,000 years later, hallelujah, the light and the truth himself would come to dwell among man. Amen? And he would not just come to dwell among us and to shed light and truth, but he would shatter power dynamics. In fact, Jesus would come to elevate women. He would come to teach women, and he would come to defend women. In fact, 
He healed the woman with the issue of blood who was stained. He spoke to the shunned Samaritan woman at the well. He lovingly rescued the woman caught in adultery who was sentenced to be stoned. I want to submit to you today that the stained, the shunned, and the sentenced were made special and significant when they met the Savior. Hallelujah. Let me say that again. The stained, the shunned, and the sentenced to be stoned were made special and significant when they met the Savior. Jesus was personal and intentional with them. And I submit to you that if he did it for them and if he did it to them, he can do it for and to you today. Instead of abusing his power, Jesus laid down his infinite and absolute power, more power than anybody else in this world ever had because he is the omnipotent. He laid down his omnipotence for the sake of the most vulnerable in our society. And when he touched them, he made them whole. Hallelujah. If he did it for them, if he laid down his omnipotence for them to reach them where they are, I submit to you today, he will do it for you. There is nothing that God would not do for you. But I tell you again today, in emancipating these women, Jesus also revealed the unrighteousness of some of the most powerful people in society. They didn't want to see their unrighteousness. In fact, they thought that they were the holiest of holy. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know, they were in the upper echelons of our society. Hello. And so, who was Jesus to point out their unrighteousness to them? This little carpenter son, this little pipsqueak boy from Nazareth. That's how they looked down on him. They rejected him. He was not good enough. Likewise, we go back to our story today. When David first learned of Bathsheba's pregnancy, did he own up to his sin? No, he didn't. In fact, he sunk deeper into the miry clay. He called for Uriah. He summoned Uriah to come and then sent Uriah home because David, like our church today, wanted to do a cover-up. Hello. He wanted Uriah to go home and sleep with his wife so that the pregnancy could be attributed to Uriah and nobody would trace it back to David. Cover-up. We are in the good in the business of covering up. But Jesus, he says, no, not in my church. He cannot be mocked. And so Jesus was about to shatter this power dynamic on behalf of Bathsheba. But I put the question to you today. Are you using your trouble to shed light into the darkness like Bathsheba did? Or are you resisting the light of truth and staying in your sin of lying? You're staying in that inappropriate relationship. You're committing fraud with people money and don't want to pay them back. You're buying people land, or you're thiefing people land, or maybe it may be pornography and masturbation. The choice is yours today as to whether you want to take the path of Bathsheba to shed light and truth and bring others to the saving light and truth, or whether you want to take the path of David and to sink deeper into your own sin. You alone can make that choice. Brethren, I am thankful today that the story of Bathsheba doesn't end with her being painted as a seductress. But instead, she's used as an instrument of light and truth. I am thankful today that when we read through the narrative of Bathsheba, 
we see her as a gentle influence in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 11 to 31. And this is where Adonijah is fighting for succession to the throne. And she is sent by the prophet to remind David of his promise that Solomon was to reign after him. We know the story well, Adonijah, the son of David, by another mother, he wanted the throne. He wanted to be David's successor. And so Bathsheba had to go and whisper gently in David's ear, remember your promise to me that my son Solomon would reign after thee. Ladies, let me talk to you now. <laughs> Hello. Sometimes you could just be a gentle influence. Not always does it call for a quarrel. Because if God is for you, as he was for Bathsheba, then no man can be against you. Not even a disobliging husband. Hello. Wink, wink. So don't always have to quarrel with him. Sometimes just a gentle influence, a mild whisper, a calm word, and just let the Holy Spirit do the conviction. I have learned this. I'm not yet married, but I've learned it. So how much more it could be effective for you all in marriage? Ladies, be the gentle influence that Bathsheba was. Then we read of Bathsheba in Proverbs 6.20 and Song of Solomon 3.11. As we know, the books of Proverbs and Songs of Solomon were written by Solomon. And so Solomon, in these verses, give tribute to his mother. In fact, in Song of Solomon 3.11, we read there that his mother was a very important part of preparing him for his marriage to his queen. Let me tell you, mothers, I'm speaking to you now. Remember that your influence travels through the life of your children in this life here and in the life hereafter. Ellen G. White tells us that there's no greater influence on the life of a child than the influence of a praying and Christian mother. We want to encourage you mothers, be the best Christian mother that you can be. And it's not easy. Hello. Some of these children head real hard. I could understand that. Some of these children will make you weep during the night or pray and agonize to God during the wee hours of the morning. But by all means, let them know that there is a mother praying in Israel for their good. Mothers, your influence matters. Finally, we read of Bathsheba in the lineage of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 6. And I want to read it for you. Matthew, take your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 6. And it says, Who was the father of David? This makes 14 generations from Abraham to David. David and Bathsheba were the parents of Solomon. Bathsheba having been the wife of Uriah who was killed in battle. And so Bathsheba here is mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. In spite of her sordid beginning, she is held up as a part of the thread that brought our Savior to earth. Hallelujah. I want to share with you today, whatever you may be going through, your present circumstances do not determine your destiny. God can turn it around for you. Your present may be dark, it may be turbulent, it may be confusing, you may feel lost and hopeless, it may be difficult, and maybe it may have grief. But Sheba was there. In fact, some of us are here now. 
We've learned this week of an elder passing by from the COVID-19 in the, in the Kuva church. And our hearts are aching for what's happening around the world. When we look at India, our rising numbers right here cause our hearts to constrict. But I want to submit to you that even if your present may be dark, turbulent, confusing, lost, hopeless, difficult, or full of grief, Jesus is near. Look at Bathsheba, look at Bathsheba. Bathsheba lost her husband because of the sin of David. David sent Uriah, as we know, to the front line of the battle, in the hottest part of the battle, so that he would be killed. But is that enough? No, no, no. She didn't only lose her husband, but Sheba also lost her firstborn because of the sin of his parents. So we know that the sacrifice was when Nathan confronted David and told him of his sin. Eventually, the pronouncement of God was that that child would die. Again, Everything is happening around Bathsheba, and she has no control over it. But, hallelujah, you know what happens after a but? Huh? God is about to turn it around. Bathsheba's pain became the platform for her placidity and her positioning. Hallelujah. Let me say that again. Bathsheba's pain became the platform for her placidity and her positioning. Let me break that down for you. Placidity is a state of freedom from or in spite of a storm or a disturbance. Do you get me? It means that you are free from the storm around you even though you are in the midst of it. And positioning is to be placed in a particular way or manner for fulfillment of a specific purpose. Let me say that again. Positioning is to be set in a particular place or way to fulfill a specific purpose. I want to share with you today that at the end of the day, the Bible says, I knew you before you were formed in the womb. And God has positioned you even in the womb for a particular purpose. God says, regardless of the storm that's happening around you, I have a plan and purpose for your life. I know the plan and the thoughts that I think towards you. And in spite of the storm, in spite of your disturbance, I am positioning you for success and not failure, for good and not evil. And you are going to fulfill the purpose that I have set fought for you. That is your expected end. Not because of you. It wasn't because of Bathsheba, but because of the man who Bathsheba's, or the loss of Bathsheba's son represented. You see, the loss of Bathsheba's first child became a foreshadow of another son. Hallelujah. Who would come to be a scapegoat, not just for his parents, but for the entire world. I'm talking about none other than the S-O-N, Jesus Christ himself. Your pain can become the platform for your placidity and your positioning because Jesus has a plan and a purpose for you in spite of your troubles. As I close, I'm going to speak to two groups now. Two groups. So I hope you're listening. You alone will know which group you fall into. The first group I want to speak to today, the vulnerable. I want to let you know God sees you. God knows you. He knows your name. He knows each tear that falls. And he hears you when you call. In the midst of your pain, remember, God never does anything without a cause. 
and his cause is always good. How do I know? How do I know? The Bible tells me so. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 tells us that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called for what? His purpose. He's calling you today. At the end of the day, if we make 60% salt with 40% water, that food will probably come out salty. Hello. But that mathematics is not God's mathematics. Hey, God's mathematics is higher than what we can ever calculate. And so 60% of salty troubles with 40% of peaceful water will be just right. God promises that in the end, he uses the words of Bob Marley to assure us, baby, my child, don't worry, because everything is going to be all right. Hallelujah. And so the comfort that was afforded to Bathsheba is available to you. The protection of Bathsheba is available to you. The assurance that was given to Bathsheba is available to you. And the destiny of Bathsheba will be yours. God is faithful, and he can be trusted to do what he has promised. I'm going to talk to the second group now, the powerful. Going back to Andy Crouch, those who have power and those who are vulnerable. The powerful. God did not give you power to oppress or abuse others. Stop it. Luke chapter 10 and verse 29 tells us that power was given to us to trample on serpents, to overcome the power of the enemy, and that nothing shall hurt us. That's why power was given to us, not to exploit others, but to destroy the enemy. Jesus is a model of laying down his power to protect and uplift the vulnerable. In fact, at the end of the day, when we look at Luke 4.18, the power that was given or is given even by the Spirit of God came upon us. For what? He anoints us to preach the gospel to the poor, vulnerable. He sends us to heal the brokenhearted, vulnerable. He sends us to preach deliverance to the captives, vulnerable, and to recover sight to the blind, vulnerable, to set at liberty those who are bruised, vulnerable. That's why power is given. It's not a false sense of piety. It's not about corruption and greed and wanting to maintain a position for status. At the end of the day, the Pharisees, they wanted so much to distance themselves from, from whom they deem unworthy and insignificant that they would cover their eyes while walking in society because they didn't even want to look upon them. And they would be bouncing into all sorts of stuff and falling down. They were called the bruised and the bleeding Pharisees. Don't be foolish today. We don't want to be pharisaical. No, no. We want to follow the shepherd Jesus who laid down his power so that he could lift up the vulnerable. At the end of the day, saints, it's about self-sacrificial love. Liberate those who are bruised. Don't bleed them further. Today, I appeal to both groups mentioned by Andy Crouch in his book, the vulnerable and the powerful. The appeal is simple, really. It really is, if you are desirous of having God help you to use your power to uplift rather than to oppress, to inspire rather than to inflict, to exalt rather than exploit, then the call 
is for you today to follow in the footsteps of Bathsheba. Make yourself vulnerable at the foot of Jesus. Understanding that Jesus will never take advantage of your vulnerability, but it's in the midst of your brokenness that he will set you and position you for purpose. And then the appeal is, some of us need power to overcome our challenges, to overcome our tribulations. They may be many, but the promise remains to us today. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God, hallelujah, but God will deliver us out of them all. He never said that the weapon would not form. He said it would not prosper. And so today, I want to give you who are vulnerable Jesus, the person who can lift up your head, lift you out of the miry clay of depression, of oppression, and of difficulty, and place your feet on a rock to stay. Today, all of us need God to recreate a new mindset within us so that we will exert his gentle influence on the world. Whether we are powerful or vulnerable, we are called to show forth the good works of Christ who laid down his life for us. We are called to shine his light to a world that is trapped in darkness. Regardless of whether you are vulnerable like Bathsheba or you are powerful like David, your purpose is to shine light and truth into a world of darkness. And so the call for you today is to carry your candle, run to the darkness, seek out the hopeless, the lonely, and the poor. Carry your candle for all to see it. Take your candle. Go light your world. God bless you.